You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. Thanks very much, Rebecca. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Always the most stressful part of preaching is the bit where you have to plug your laptop in and hope that the PowerPoint works. So just give me one second. Once that's done, it's all plain sailing. We'll see. If not, never mind. Um, Before I start, I just wanted to say a big shout out to Simon, who discovered that he was leading this morning's service after someone was unwell at 7.45 this morning. And I don't think he would have known from those um, really amazing prayers that he led. So um, thank you so much, Simon, for stepping in at short notice and doing such a fantastic job. Nathan's coming to sort out my, my technical woes. There we go. Let's just start anyway. We'll just pretend nothing's happening. Uh, As Simon mentioned, today is the second uh, week of our Partnership Month series. Oh, great. That's the worst bit over. It's it's all good from here. Uh, We're looking at ways that we can commit ourselves to being part of this community together at Oasis Waterloo throughout the whole month. And we're exploring a number of statements together about how we might do this. And we're also exploring it through the lens of stories of the life of Jesus. Last week, Nath kicked us off talking about the call to act that Jesus' disciples had from Jesus and how we're called to put the words, the life, the actions of Jesus into practice ourselves. And this morning, I've been given the task of talking about the next of our partnership statements, which is this. I will commit to playing my part in making sure everyone who comes to Oasis Church Waterloo feels welcome and totally included. And as you might have picked up from this morning's service, or if you've been around for a while, inclusion is something that we talk a lot about at Oasis Waterloo. It's something that we believe very strongly in. And lots of you will be here because you wanted to be part of a church that was inclusive of LGBTQ plus people, or had a progressive theology around salvation, or that everybody is welcome here. And that's really important. We care about justice. We care about everyone having a seat at the table. And we're learning all the time and putting new things into practice all the time. The PowerPoint today is in slightly different color scheme to normal. One of the practical things we've done as part of the Access Advisory Group and about pushing forward with inclusion is uh, trying to make the the media we use on a Sunday morning more inclusive. So we've gone for um, cream background with dark blue text, which is supposed to be uh, easier to read for people who have dyslexia or people with visual impairments. So um, it's a very small step, but hopefully we're continually making incremental moves that make us a more inclusive community. And our badge that's stamped through the kind of branding, the heart of Oasis, is this symbol of a messy O. We call it the Oasis Circle of Inclusion. And it's a sign that we are committed to everyone being included. But that we accept that it's messy. It's not a leaped, linear journey to inclusion. And I think as a church, we can sometimes hit a bit of a bump in the road. Because I think at times... 
there can be a gap between our theology and our theoretical understanding of inclusion and our practice of inclusion on the ground, of how people really feel when they become part of our church. The messy part of inclusion, where we try and move from having the right belief to actually putting in practice, to actually making sure that everyone who walks through this door feels welcome, feels like they belong, feels like they are known. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about some examples of the inclusion and welcome that Jesus showed to others, but also the welcome that people showed to Jesus, which is what led me to the story of Simon, of Jesus, and of this unnamed woman. We've talked before about how women in the biblical text are often left unnamed. They were often marginalized and excluded. And Jesus actually really lifts up women in his life and throughout his life, but it hasn't always made its way totally into the stories that we read. Today's story is found right near the beginning of Luke's gospel, and it's quite near the beginning of Jesus's life and ministry, but he's already getting a bit of a reputation for himself. Just before this happens, he's addressing a crowd and the fact that they perceive him in his own words as a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus enters the house of the Pharisee, who we later know as Simon, against this backdrop that there's already some hostility towards Jesus from some of the religious leaders of the time. On reading the first few lines of this passage, you might think what's happening is all perfectly normal. Jesus has invited someone for dinner. No big deal. He's cracking on and having his dinner. Then a woman appears on the scene. We don't know the details. We don't know what she's done wrong, but she's deemed in the eyes of the people around her and of the city to be a sinner. She's done wrong. She's excluded from being a part of things. She's an intruder to the scene. Now, at the time of Jesus, houses would have been a lot more open than they are now. And often if there was important dinner happening, where there may have been uh, teaching happening that people wanted to listen to, it would be normal for people to kind of gather at the back and to listen in and to kind of be a part of the conversation. But this woman wouldn't have been welcomed. And she's not sat at the back, but she's right at the center of it, right in front of Jesus. She takes center stage. And then she starts this routine of washing Jesus' feet with her tears, her hair, and pouring perfume on his feet. It all seems a bit strange to us, but at the time, the fact that she was an outcast, the way she was uh, approaching Jesus so intimately would have been a big deal and would not have been looked upon well by the people around Simon and Jesus. So Simon starts questioning Jesus who we can safely assume alongside all of the others at the meal, was like, what does this woman think she's doing? At this point, things begin to clear up a little bit. Jesus lists back to Simon all the ways he neglected to show Jesus a welcome and the way he has shown that welcome to the woman. Simon has rejected all of the expected customs of the day. The customs at the time would require a kiss as a greeting, providing provision of water to wash in, and the anointing of someone's head with oil. 
To omit the entire list of customs, theologian Kenneth Bailey says, would have been a calculated and pointed insult. It's a bit like if you invited someone over for dinner, opened the door, didn't say hello, didn't really invite them in, didn't offer to take their coat and didn't offer them a drink. You wouldn't feel very welcome. The woman has noticed that the hosts of the dinner have failed to follow these customs, these important marks of hospitality. And so she steps in. As far as we know, she doesn't vocally condemn the men for the lack of welcome, but she stands in the gap they've created. And she stands in solidarity with Jesus, with this radical act of love. Jesus and the woman are both rejected throughout the story. They both suffer and they both risk in their defence of the other. Jesus driving a further wedge between himself and the Pharisees and the woman putting herself at risk for even entering the presence of Jesus. Inclusion is key to the whole of Jesus' ministry. The marginalised are given important roles. Their stories woven through every page and every passage, not pitied or given token mentions, but part of the whole mission. And Jesus is right in the thick of it. He embraces those who've been rejected. And more than that, he receives back from them hospitality and welcome. The woman stands in the gap left by Simon's refusal to give a proper welcome. And Jesus commends the woman for the love she's shown. And I wonder if that kind of reciprocal hospitality is a really important lesson for us to learn as we think about how we welcome and include others. When I was preparing for this, I was thinking about some of the hospitality I've received from being part of this community. A few years ago, I was working, uh, running a course. It was called Eat Well, Spend Less, and it was designed to help people learn how to cook and to eat well on a budget. We'd kind of do some learnings together and then do some cooking together. And we had session plans and we had a structure and we thought we had it all planned out and we were running this brilliant program for the community. We started and it was all going okay but it felt a bit rigid, a bit forced, a bit uncomfortable at times. And it took us quite a few sessions in to realize that actually the reason people had showed up, the reason people were there is because they wanted a space in community together where they could eat together, where they could share with one another, where they could have a space where they'd be listened to uh, and have space to be together. They didn't really want a set of learning objectives or a list of things we were hoping that they'd achieve. And we actually discovered that a few of the uh, women who'd come along to the course were actually really talented cooks. They had a lot of recipes they wanted to share that they used to show hospitality to others from their cultural backgrounds. And so we kind of tossed away the session plans for the last couple of weeks. And instead we said, we'll bring the ingredients along, bring along your recipes, share with us, of what you know and of what matters to you. And we may not have hit all of our objectives for running that course, but I think I learned about the importance of being willing to receive hospitality and not be ruled by my own agenda. Since running that course, I've got to know a few of the women a bit better. 
And one of the mums who was part of that popped in this week to the hub. I was sat um, downstairs working and she brought in, wrapped up in foil, warm slices of cake, giant hunks of cake for every person who was working there that day. She said, I woke up at 5am and I couldn't sleep and so I just thought I'd make you all some cake and bring it in. The love and care that she shows to ensure every person she encounters feels loved, feels welcome, feels included, is a continual inspiration to me. And one that I carried through me as I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about what does welcome really feel like? And I think developing a culture of welcome and inclusion is one in which we all give and we all receive. And the balance of those two things shifts from time to time, depending on where we are in our lives. I want to make it clear that I know that not everyone has huge amounts of money, time, energy, resources in general to give, and that's okay. Some of you here today will be in positions where you're thinking, I can't do anything more than just show up today. And I hope that everyone here will make you feel welcome if that is the case. A few years ago, uh, some of you will know Nathan, my husband, had heart surgery, quite major heart surgery. And for a while, I couldn't be on a church rotor. I couldn't have people over for dinner. Couldn't even manage to bake someone a birthday cake or to strike up a conversation with someone new on a Sunday morning. I was tired and I was worried and I was anxious. And we were just trying to get through the day today. We had to be the receivers of a lot of generosity from our community at that time. Meals cooked, lifts to hospital. Someone coming to sit with Nathan when he still couldn't leave the house so I could come and do our food bank carathon fundraiser. And that was really hard for me. I'm active, I like to be involved, I like to do things. If you see me on a Sunday morning, I'm probably running from one place to another because that's where I feel comfortable. But I couldn't do it then. I couldn't play my part as fully as I would like to, but I was made to feel welcome and to feel known. So I hope that however much or however little you have to bring today, that you know that you are welcome here. I wonder what your experience of being welcomed into this church or into other churches or other communities has been like. Did you have a good welcome? Did you know right away this was going to be your home? Or was it a bit of a slow burn? You thought maybe actually this isn't the place for me. And I hope you'll all feel totally welcome here. But I know from some conversations with many people that a lot of us, myself included, have struggled and it's taken time to feel totally included as part of this community. Add to that that I know many people here, as Simon mentioned earlier, have been excluded and hurt by church communities in the past. So even stepping through the door or trying to play your part by showing up is really difficult. And I think that there's more that we can do together as a community to make sure that everyone who walks through the door not only knows theoretically that they're welcome, but feels it, feels that they belong, feels that they're known, feels that they're loved. It's something we've spoken quite a lot about in our leadership team because we think there's a role that we play as leaders of the church in setting that culture. 
we have a responsibility to ensure we involve every single person here to shape the kind of community we want to see. We're going to talk about leadership a bit next week and about accountability. But we'd love it if you've got ideas or suggestions of how we could do better, how we could make people feel more welcome to this space. Please do come and speak to any of us on the leadership team. We'd really love to be working on this together. And for us to be a thriving, welcoming community, I think as much as we can, we all have a part to play. For today, I've thought of a few practices that I think could help us along this journey together. This is a picture from the um, course that we ran uh, and some of the women who taught us and shared with us some of their food. The first is very simple, but actually quite difficult and might require getting a bit uncomfortable. Our relationships have to start somewhere and welcome can begin with a simple conversation. I don't know about you, but I find the turn to the person next to you who you've never met before and have a conversation with them or go and find someone over coffee and just start up a chat if you've not known them, quite difficult. I feel anxious in those situations. Or I think, oh, have I met that person before and I should really remember their name and I should know who they are? Or what if it turns out they've actually been coming to the church for 18 months and I've just never spoken to them? So it can feel hard to take that step and it can feel hard to have imperfect conversations. But I've been trying to push myself over the last few months and I'd encourage you to just to take that step. People would rather you took the time to get to know them and then had to ask their name again than that you didn't try at all. The next thing that I think can be really helpful for us is to seek out difference. One of the things I really value uh, in church communities particularly is the intergenerational element that you don't see often in communities elsewhere. People are here because of a shared faith, a shared belief, a shared desire to follow Jesus. But other than that, we could be totally different. Over lunch last week, I was chatting to Seren, Nathan Louise's uh, eldest daughter, and she was telling me a conversation she was having with Steph about NASA and about how the space landings had all worked. And they'd had this really amazing, really in-depth conversation that Seren's not going to have at school with one of her peers in year five. She's not going to have it elsewhere. They're at very different stages of their life. They'll have different experiences, but they can learn so much from each other. And I know I've learned as much from the two-year-olds in Tops Church as I have from the adults in this community. So I think if we're willing to learn and willing to seek out difference, we'll begin to make progress towards inclusion and welcome. My friend who brought the cake into the hub this week is Muslim, and I've learned so much from the way that she practices her faith, despite knowing very little of it and some of the cultures and practices being different to my own. But she has taught me almost more than anyone else about hospitality and about inclusion. Uh, the third thing I think we can do is to stand in the gap, as the woman did when Simon neglected his welcome. I think we're all called to play our part in standing with those who experience injustice. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but because we're a community together who belong to one another. 
We're building the kingdom of God together. This week, I came across this story about some students in Norway. Their classmate and friend, Tyber Abassi, was an Afghan refugee, and she was about to be deported. Over a thousand people rallied together from a protest that started with her classmates at her high school. They stood in the gap for their friend. They organized social media protests. This took traction and protests sprung up around the world in solidarity, protesting against the unjust deportation of a college student. One politician tried to dismiss this process at this protest as just a reason for these kids to skip school. But it was so much deeper. They were acting out of care and friendship. The lack of welcome shown by the authorities left a gap for them to live out inclusion and welcome. And the final practice is to practice hospitality however you can. I think what you do doesn't really matter. Nath talked last week a bit about how he's going to try and uh, work on the practice of hospitality over this month. And that it can be challenging when lots of us live in different places, uh, around London or even further, we travel in for church. We might not just be able to offer someone to come round and pop round for a cup of tea. But I think it's about the openness and generosity we can extend more than it is about exactly what we can do. I'm going to tell a story about my parents. Now, my parents are probably watching live on the live stream on Facebook. Uh, last time I told a story about them in one of my sermons, they told me off because they said I made them sound older than they really were. So it was good. Before the days of live streaming, they wouldn't know what stories I was telling about them. So uh, thanks for technology. But anyway, you can... Uh, Tell me about any inaccuracies in this story uh, afterwards. I'm sure I'll have some WhatsApp messages. Uh, my parents last year managed to shake off the final one of my siblings away from living at home. Excited about the new phase of their life they were going to have with the two of them, having raised all of us. They were going to do all sorts. They were going to just enjoy having a bit more space. However, before they could get very far, they've ended up with a rotating list of guests and waifs and strays coming through their house. People who ended up stuck for months in lockdown there. Friends and their dogs and their houseplants who were temporarily without homes. Extra guests over Christmas when they couldn't go back to their families because of COVID. It seems like every time I spoke to them, there was somebody new taking up the extra bedrooms that we had all emptied. When I was there at Christmas, I asked her, oh, are you and dad looking forward to uh, the last of your guests going and having the space to yourself finally? She kind of shrugged and said, well, we'll see how long that lasts. Not in an annoyed way, but because they've been more than happy to open their home, to throw open their doors, and to extend the invitation. I've got a small flat, and I can't offer that kind of hospitality, but I can learn from my posture. Throughout my life, what can I give? How can I show welcome? Is it extending an invitation to lunch? Making space for a coffee with someone who I'd like to get to know more?
Is it taking a walk around the park? Is it taking a bit more time when somebody demands my time this week not to rush off or to brush them off, but to take the moment to build the depth of relationship? How can I have an attitude of hospitality and openness to some disruption in my life so that I can welcome and include others? You might well have your own practices and ideas about welcome and inclusion. These are no means definitive, but just some things that have helped me. There's no correct way to welcome and include others. But are we willing to open ourselves, to get a bit uncomfortable, to seek out difference? And I hope we'll all be committed together to making this church community a place where we don't just say we're all in, but we really practice it. May we be reminded, as Simon said in his prayers earlier, the work is not yet complete. As we finish, I found this benediction, a blessing and a challenge that I hope we can go on to, hold on to this week. It's from a book by an author called Sarah Bessie called Out of Sorts. And I'd just like to read it as a blessing to us all uh, as we go. And then Nathan and the band are going to come up and sing our final song. May we be the ones who don't give up on radical inclusion. May we remember to whisper to one another every now and then, on purpose, at the right time. You belong here. There's room for you. There's room for all of us. We are part of the temple in which God is quite at home. May we be the ones who hold the doors open for others, who hold hands, who hold faces, who hold secrets for one another, who hold space for the pain and the brilliance, who hold the light and the salt, the complexity and the simplicity, the silence and the storm. May we be the ones who hold our opinions loosely and yet love ferociously. Everything you do is spirit-filled, if you intend it to be. There isn't a hero in the kingdom. We are all beginners.